0: Well, we have a big announcement before we jump into the message today, as you see behind me. We have a new baby that's been born. Jacob Bartlett Rieger was born last night to Amy. So, we still call her Amy Rudger on the office because we forget that she got married, let alone having a baby. So, if you uh, see her or email or Facebook her, you can tell her congratulations as of last night. Well, today we are continuing in our journey into Elijah's battle for inner peace, and it begins to be in, become even more challenging. And you know, the last couple of months I've been reflecting and journaling on just some of the ways in which the last three or four years have felt like a, a battle zone for my wife and I trying to struggle with the, the factors outside of our control. And I realized that one of my tendencies when I face anxiety or things bigger than me is to try Harder. Some people, when things get big and monstrous, they try harder, and some people give up because it's too hard. Well, sometimes I try so hard that I will just drive myself into the ground. And sometimes the more stressed I get, the more harder I try. And the harder I try, the more stressed I get, the more my physical tanks go low, the more my emotional tanks go low, the more my spiritual tanks go low. And then instead of things getting better, things often get worse. In fact, I wrote in my journal... Um, just yesterday I was sharing with Beth that I'm so frustrated that there's so many things I can't fix. So frustrated that there's so many things I can't change that I feel like need to be changed. And the problem is the more I try, the more exhausted I get. And then the more self-pity I have that God's not seeing how hard I'm trying. Then I get mad at God because he owes me, doesn't He see how hard I'm trying. I get upset at the people around me because they don't see how hard I'm trying. I have a sense of self-righteousness in me because I'm trying harder than other people. Or a sense of self-pity, poor me, that I have to try so hard nobody else is. Or others might have given up a long time ago, so then I sort of rebuckle my efforts and say, let's try again, and and with an empty tank, I guess can just drive myself into the ground. And I end up where Elijah is it's always bad when I study these passages because God ends up working on these same things in me. Because what Elijah is going to discover is that trying harder, sacrificing more for God, is rarely the solution for emotional anxiety. We don't need to sacrifice to God more. We need a sacrifice from God. In fact, emotional anxiety is overcome by a sacrifice from God, not more and more and more and more and more sacrificing to God. And so we're going to look at three sacrifices today. How we sacrifice to our emotions, how our anger and our worry and our stress actually requires us to sacrifice sometimes our health. We end up destroying our bodies because anger and fear, loneliness and despair call us to give our very best and they drain us of our resources. Then we're going to find out what a sacrifice to Baal looks like and what our bails might be today. And in contrast to sacrificing to our emotions and, and to Baal, we're then going to find out how a sacrifice from God can give us what we need. It can not only help you and I overcome our anxieties and our stresses and our difficulties, but it can help us know the one who rescued us. Imagine a little cat has crawled his way and fallen into a creek. He gets caught up in the stream and luckily he catches onto a rock so he finds himself sitting on a little rock, a wet little kitten, and he's mad and he's furious and he wants to get back to shore, but he can't because the stream is so strong. And so there he is with claws out. He tries to swim and he jumps back in there. And, and all of a sudden, a little boy sees him and says, "Oh my goodness, look at that kitten! I've got to rescue him." And as the boy makes his way out into the water, he goes to grab the cat. How does the cat react? Ringer! The cat is trying hard to rescue himself. He's trying hard to get away from this. He wants everything to get over to that place, but he sees the one rescuing him as the problem. So at some point, the rescuer has to decide, this cat can't rescue himself, but if I try and rescue him, I'm going to get scarred and scratched trying to do it. But he does it anyway. He reaches down, he grabs this cat, and this cat is clawing and scratching and biting, and he pulls him across, and he's still scratching him as he goes across the river, and he gets to the edge, and he sets that cat down, and do you think that cat is grateful? He's out of there. He doesn't even know the one who rescued him. He doesn't even know that he damaged and scarred up the one who, at great cost to himself, went and rescued him. And that tendency to know that we don't even know the God who sacrificed for us to rescue us, it's still in us. And so even once he's saved us, even as he's rescued us from from, from the rivers of our consequences eternally, we still have this thing in us that says, I need to try harder. I, I need to do it myself rather than depend on the one who rescued me. That's exactly what Elijah going to discover. And let's begin his journey in 1 Kings. And we're going to see how he sacrifices to his emotions. Emotions are like idols. And the thing about idols, they're usually good things. I mean, for me, one of my idols is being a fixer. A lot of good things about being a fixer. It's actually my heart. I like to help people. And there's a lot of benefits that come to my emotions when I'm helpful. I feel good about myself. I feel good about helping other people. Sometimes your idol is being a good mom. And so the days you're a good mom, you feel really good There's blessings. I feel like I'm a good mom. Uh, I want to be a good husband. So in the days my idol tells me, way to go. Maybe your idol is a good performer. And so your quarterly results came in and, well, you got a lot of blessings. Way to go. And then the next day shows up and maybe it wasn't such a good day. And that same idol that blessed you will curse you and say, why can't you do better than you did yesterday? You did it yesterday. Why not today? And that same idol that blessed you all of a sudden calls upon your emotions and what gave you peace and joy is now giving you despair and stress. It begins to demand of you your time, demand of you your allegiance, demand of you more and more and more, and it's never satisfied. It starts to take control of your thoughts, your emotions. It demands your time, your treasure, your talents. It begins to affect your decisions that you make. And all of a sudden, the thing you put in the center of your life, probably a good thing is demanding more and more sacrifice to your emotions. Elijah sees this very thing. And the first emotion that comes out of Elijah as he comes face to face with Ahab and the problems going on in the society of that day is anger. Elijah felt maligned. See, Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today, to Ahab the king. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, So he went to meet Elijah. And then it happened that when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? He's given him a nickname, and now the person who has the most influence in the entire country, the entire area of influence in Elijah's life, is now slandering him and calling him the troubler of Israel. And you can just imagine the anger welling up in him, the name-calling, the maliciousness, the falsehoods. I can relate to Elijah. I remember about 12 years ago, my senior pastor and I had decided to make a transition from my church down in Atlanta. At the end, we said, hey, we're just not able to find how things meet, so let's just take a next couple of months and let's transition in a respectful way. So I went home that night, told Beth that we were going to make some transition plans. The next day, I get a phone call from a pastor friend of mine up in Atlanta. He said, hey, we had that meeting of all the pastors. About a hundred square mile area from where we lived, all the contemporary past churches of contemporary churches gathered together to sort of brainstorm and pray for each other. He said, yeah, your uh, your senior pastor was there and he shared that you guys have decided to separate. And I said, yeah, we just think it's best for both of us. He said, no, he said it's because you're trying to split the church. Oh, I, I, I was... Instantly was mad, instantly was furious, instantly couldn't believe that we had agreed to be respectful. And now not only had he maligned me, but he had maligned me amongst all my potential employers in a hundred square mile area. And all of a sudden that emotion called for more and more sacrifice. I just kept going, that is so unjust. I can't believe he did that. And every minute turned into every moment turned into day after day. I felt all the emotions calling for me to sacrifice more and more to this injustice. And that's exactly how Elijah reacts. Here's what he says in the next verse. He answered, I have not troubled Israel. You have in your father's house, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, let's do this. You send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. You get your 450 prophets of Baal and your 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Elijah now, though he's being courageous and though he's angry, he's outnumbered. When you come face to face with an obstacle bigger than yourself, it's easy to feel outnumbered. I mean, look at the ratio, 450 plus 400, 850 to 1. And yet this fear is going to so distort his view of reality that he's going to start meditating on something, we're going to see in a moment, that will be a lie that affects him for three chapters. And God will try and address this lie, but this lie of fear will begin to eat away at him that all of his decisions and all of his thoughts, all of his successes and all of his weaknesses will be looked at through the grid of fear I'm outnumbered I'm the only one left I'm the only one trying I'm the only one trying to lead people back to God and it's not even true even though it feels true I'll show you in a moment the third emotion we see is that of loneliness Ahab says alright let's do the deal he sent all the children of Israel to gather the prophets together on Mount Carmel Elijah came to all the people and he said how long will you falter between two opinions If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. And this powerful message and powerful conclusion, who's going to follow me? Anyone? We'll we'll sing the hymn one more time. Somebody will come forward. If the Lord is Lord, who will follow Him? But the people answered him, not a word. Boy, have you ever been there? You put time and energy and effort into a project and you show up and it's just totally unresponsive on the other side of the table. You put a presentation together. You, you, you try and persuade your kids and you've got your whole heart in it and you pour everything into it and what comes out of it is <clears throat> nothing. And then you start feeling like, what a waste of time. Am I that bad that nobody responded? This is like the worst sermon ever. This is the worst response ever. The buses didn't need to wait because nobody came forward. And that lack of response makes him feel lonely, feel ignored, and feel ineffective. To which he will now embed this lie in his mind that will stay with him. He'll repeat it three times in the next two chapters. And God will try and untangle him from this lie. But this lie is so powerful... This emotional response is so deep that he will sacrifice his peace, his joy to this lie. And here it is in the verse. I alone am left. (laughs) Nobody responded. I guess I'm it. I alone am left, a prophet of the Lord. And I'm outnumbered. Baal's prophets are 450 men. I'm alone. Sometimes when you're the one trying hard, easy to feel superior because i'm trying harder than everybody else sometimes it's easy to feel destroyed because why should i even try if no one else is going to and whether it's self-pity or self-righteousness they will always call to your emotions to give more and more and more and this lie is so significant that that in romans paul will pick up this quote to talk in romans chapter 11 he says i say then has god cast away his people you see when you feel alone you feel like god's given up on you god's not doing his part you feel like God's cast you away? But Paul says, no, certainly not. For I myself am an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people, even though it may feel that way, whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says? And he quotes the one we're looking at. He says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Look at the fear fear. as loneliness. But, Paul says, what does the divine response say to him? And what would he say to you and I? He says, no, you're not alone. I have reserved 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. He's saying, listen, that lie is not even true. I know it feels true, but I got 7,000 people. They didn't show up to this particular sermon, I'll give you that. But I have 7,000 people who can support you, 7,000 people who can help you, 7,000 people you can be in community with. And yet, I tell you, Elijah will not hear that. He is so caught in despair, he is so caught in discouragement, he's so caught in feeling alone, God will have to repeat this multiple times to uproot this lie out of his heart. We always sacrifice to our emotions. And if God is not in the center of our life, there will be something else, some other idol that we sacrifice to. Let me give you a little idea of where we are. I got a chance to go to Mount Carmel. So this on the left is a picture of Mount Carmel as we're about to make our way up. And the area where Elijah is going to sacrifice is going to be somewhere about here. So we're going to travel our way up to this area. And once you get not quite to the top, about a 100 feet from the top, there's actually right about here, there's an olive grove. And so here's my wife and I hugging an olive tree. But this is a massive olive grove that exists about 100 feet from the top. Easily could hold hundreds and thousands of people as we're gathered together looking at the grove. From this olive grove, here's where we're standing there, you can look up. And way up here, you'll see our leader ran up there. He's about 100 feet above us. And from that place, he began to give this speech that Elijah gave. If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, let us serve them. And I'm telling you, a thousand people could easily hear, even from that far away. It was like a a natural echo chamber, like a natural amphitheater. So then later we crawled up to that place to see probably the very location where Elijah stood right here. And probably had that sacrifice right in this area. If you look down, you can see all of this is that olive grove where thousands of people are gathered with this great showdown between the prophets of Baal and the prophets of God. And this is where that speech occurred. And now Elijah is going to come directly after the second sacrifice, the sacrifice to the Baal. Let's see what I realized years ago. I came across this little sort of formula that helps me realize what happens in your emotions is that if you don't, Begin to put God and allow God's sacrifice to deal with your emotions. Your emotions can burn you out. You can yearn for a better day, but you're never going to find the healing you need. Or you can be like my tendency, which is I'm going to earn God's approval. I'm going to earn my way out of the situation. But what God really wants us to do is learn who he is, what he's done for us, and how he wants to meet with us. And ask ourselves, what is it that's in the center of my life that's not God that's wearing me out? Let's look at it. Next part of the verse. Therefore, here's the deal. Let them give us two bowls. Let them choose one bowl for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. You call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire? He is God. So the people answered and he said, it's well spoken. So the people have just agreed. So now the prophets show up he shows up, and they're about to do the sacrifice. So he turns to them and says pretty much the same thing. All right, prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves. Prepare it for you are many. Call on the name of your God and put no fire under it. You can't light it yourself. So they took the bull which had given them, and they prepared it. And they called in the name of Baal from morning until noon. I want you to remember this noon. This is going to be so cool and so critical by the end. So they are calling upon their God from morning till noon. And this is what happens when God is not the center of your life. He always demands more and more and more and more and more. Because it's always about sacrificing more and more and more and more and more to your idol. It's about a sacrifice to God versus the gospel is about a sacrifice from God. So for three hours, they're begging God to do something. Oh, Baal, hear us, they say. But there was no voice. No one answered. So they said, well, what else does he want us to do? Okay, yelling's not doing it, and yelling for three hours isn't doing it. So they leaped. They leaped about the altar. Maybe this will do it. Maybe this will bring the fire down. And they danced, and and they leaped. But that wasn't enough. And that's the thing about an idol. You can do a little, and it wants more. You can do some leaping, and it wants more. Idol's never satisfied. And so what else does the idol need? Well, here we are again, right in this section here. Here's the olive grove as the people are watching all of the dancing and all of the cheering as they're calling upon Baal to send it down. Has Baal answered yet? No. He wants more. What does he want? So it was again at noon that Elijah, being the great spiritual mentor that he is, <laughs> mocks them. He looks at them dancing and leaping and he says, cry louder for he is a God but Perhaps he's meditating. Or maybe he's too busy for you right now. Or maybe he's on a journey. Or perhaps, I know, I bet your God is sleeping. Or, or maybe you just need to wake him up. So, in response to his mockery, they cried louder. And they cut themselves That's what our God needs. He he wants to show us that we're serious. We need to sacrifice more. Show that it hurts. That's what our idol wants. As was their custom. They pull out the knives. They pull out the lances until blood gushed out of them. And we say, what primitive people that would do this silly stuff. Thank goodness we're beyond that now as Americans. You know, if you put your career in the center of your life, it's just like bail. It'll never be satisfied. You can never have a particular amount of savings. You can never have enough investments. You can never have enough quarterly results to satisfy. And so when that becomes the center of your life, it asks for a little bit more. A little bit more. And the things you also care about, family, your health, your marriage, as career becomes your bail, you know what happens? gushing wounds begin to occur and the other things you said mattered and to the point at which it's just bleeding out over here because you're giving everything to hear from your career. And vice versa, you have kids for the first time and now you put kids up and they don't just become a good thing, they become the ultimate thing. And you said your marriage was important and you know intellectually that a great... Mom or great dad means having a great marriage, but, but you you love coming home from those meetings when you're the coach of the team or when you're at the PTA meeting, people saying, man, I don't know any mom like you. You're super mom. Wow, what a great dad. You're the best coach. And, and that idol blesses you so much so that, that all of a sudden your kids become your bail and you haven't invested in your marriage. You can't remember the last time you had a date night. And you're bleeding out in your marriage because you're going to all these... these these traveling soccer this, and traveling swim meet this, and it's all good, but it's never enough. Well, you know, you got to do just one more. You've got to get on this team, just one more season, because then you can get a scholarship. And the whole time, you're, you're sort of bought into this, and it's a good thing. But when you take time to step back, you're like, man, the things I care about are bleeding out. That's always how idols operate. So when the midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening. So now, there's three time periods that are important to Jewish people. The day begins at 6 a.m. The first sacrifice is at the third hour, 9 a.m. The second sacrifice is at noon, that's the sixth hour. The third sacrifice is at the ninth hour, and that's 3 p.m. So just keep track of those. So noon, that is the second sacrifice. The evening sacrifice occurs at 3 o'clock. which is also called the ninth hour. It's going to be key in a minute. So they have cried out to God from 9 until 12, nothing. And now they have destroyed themselves from noon until 3. Darkness, silence. All the while trying to overcome what they need by trying harder and sacrificing to their God. To which Elijah shows up at three o'clock. And Elijah said to the people, come near, come near, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And in contrast to the singing and the dancing and the cheering and all the stuff that the prophets of Baal did, Elijah goes out of his way to say, this is not going to be about what I do. It's not about a magic trick. It's not about a big deal. It's not about me trying hard. This is going to be all about God. And the sacrifice, not to God, but from God, that God's going to provide for us is so palatable, so powerful, so palatable, that it's going to bring us all together in a way that nothing else could. And it's going to call us to repair our altars. Let's go over here. This is the altar we used to say was for God. What's the last time we've used this? See, a sacrifice from God begins and says, Hey, can, can we reconnect and look get a rock over here? When's the last time you had just some quiet time reflecting on how much I love you and what I did for you? No wonder you're anxious. You're thinking all about your anxieties and you're not thinking about how I'm in control and how I watch over you. Let's repair the altar. Let's get back to remembering what God did for us and what He wants from us. Let's not focus on our to-do list. Let's get back to what God's done for us. And as you begin to focus on the sacrifice from God, like Elijah did, you repair your priorities saying, God, I need to get back to you. And then, Elijah took 12 stones to remind them that God chose you. You're one of the chosen 12 tribes according to the number of the tribes. Don't go do a bunch of stuff. Reflect on the fact that God chose us. To whom the word of the Lord has come. God brought his word to us. He even gave our father Jacob a new name. Remember the new name he gave you? God's given you a new name as a follower of Christ. You've got a brand new name. That's not something you did for God. That's something he did for you. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seas of seed. He put the wood in order. He cut the bull in pieces. Another reminder of Abraham... And Abraham cut the bowl and then God passed through it while Abraham slept as a reminder that it's not what we do for God. It's how God's going to keep his covenant even while we're taking a nap. And he took the bowl pieces and he laid it on the wood and he said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. This is the worst sacrifice ever. That's not how you do a sacrifice. You don't waterlog the thing. He's going out of his way to say, this is a not about what we do for God. This is about what God's going to do for us. You're like, all right, so here's the waterlogged altar. That's a constant reminder of all the things God did in the past. And then he says, let's do it again. So they dump water out a second time. Now it's the worst sacrifice ever. Then they did it a third time, dumping water all over it. And the water runs all around the altar, and he filled the trench with water. See, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is not about what you do for God, it's what God has done for you. The Bible's not good advice for you, it's good news about what He did. And here Elijah is going to call upon God to show us His ultimate sacrifice. And here's what happens. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, it's 3 o'clock. It's the ninth hour. That Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am just your servant. This is not about me. And that I have done all these things at your word. You told me to do this. Hear, hear me, O Lord, hear me. That this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you. This is what God wants more than anything. He wants your heart and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. God's grace, it's again and again and again. Another example of you coming before us. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And the people are so shell-shocked, so awe-inspired, not by what Elijah did for God, but what God did for them, that they respond The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And all of a sudden, what they need most is not more to do for God, but to be overwhelmed by what God has done for them. But this moment in time, as powerful as it is, points to something far greater A far greater offering and a far greater sacrifice and you're not even going to believe it until you see it. At the very moment that God sent fire down at the evening sacrifice in 850 BC, we now fast forward 900 years. And from about the sixth hour, 12 o'clock, the same time that the prophets of Baal were hearing nothing. Until the ninth hour, three o'clock, there was darkness over all the land. When we call out to something else to be our God, that's the very reason God had to die for us, because we replaced him with other good things, and we made them ultimate things. And it brought darkness into our lives. It brought darkness into our hearts. And it never satisfied us. It just drove us into the ground trying harder. We gave up thinking we're never going to be good enough. But. About the ninth hour. About three o'clock. Jesus cries out with a loud voice saying. Eli, Eli, lama sabata, that is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And some of those who stood there when they heard that said. This man is calling for Elijah. That the same sacrifice that God provided, 850 B.C., at the exact time and exact place, look at what God did for you to reconcile you, to draw you back to Himself, is the exact same sacrifice that God will do up to the very moment, in the very hour, 900 years later, at 33 A.D., at that very moment, He says here is the ultimate sacrifice that comes and consumes all of the darkness and all of your guilt and all of your shame and is through my son Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice from God. Is the Bible true? There's so many ways to know it, but who could even have come up with this? And the people knew their Bible well enough that even though they didn't know who Jesus was fully, though standing around, they went, this reminds me of Elijah. Didn't he do something like this around the ninth hour? Which is why we begin by saying it's the sacrifice from God that overcomes your emotional anxiety. And the people are so struck by God being who he is and what he's done for them that they chased down the prophets of Baal at no escape and they executed them there and they said, we are going to realign ourselves to God. He's what we've needed all along. So how do you do this? All right. All right. Yeah, well, that sounds nice. But how do you do this? Let me show you how to do this. How do you apply God's sacrifice to whatever your emotional issue is? Let's say you're struggling with anger. There's a lot of legitimate things to be angry about. And whether you're ticked off at your spouse or ticked off at your son or ticked off at a coworker, or ticked off at your boss, whatever it is. So here's what happens. You start saying, I never would have done that. I never would have said that. And you get angry. But it's not just anger, it's moral superiority, because you feel like, oh my goodness, I'm so much better than them, because I never would have even thought to do that kind of inconsistent, inconsiderate act. And just as that anger is beginning to take control of you, you apply God's sacrifice. You step back and say, God, boy, if, you had, if anyone had a right to be mad, it was you, from everything I've done. Boy, God, if you gave me what I deserved, how inconsiderate, how unkind, how rebellious, how... I have been. But God, you are slow to anger toward me. You are merciful toward me. You are kind to me. God, because of your sacrifice on the cross, you poured your anger not on me, but you poured it on Jesus. And that softens your heart because you realize that God wasn't angry at you or he didn't take it out on you the way you're taking it out on someone else. And that humbles you out of that moral superiority. It softens your heart. You still are going to have a conversation. You still need to talk about it. The issue didn't go away. But your heart is somehow softened by the grace of God and his sacrifice. Maybe you struggle with fear. Boy, well, I don't know if God's with me. These situations aren't going out the way I hoped. I've tried really hard, but it's not spelling out quite right. And you're filled with anxiety and fear. How do you apply the sacrifice of God to your emotions? You step back and say, God, I'm I'm scared. I feel alone. He says, I left heaven and came to you. You are not alone. I am with you. I am for you. I gave up everything for you on the cross. And if I can figure out how to coordinate the sacrifice of Elijah at Mount Carmel to the sacrifice of the Romans, 900 years later, you can trust me that I can handle your situation too. And you look at the cross and you see a God whose sacrifice woos you and comforts you. And gives you confidence. If you, if you struggle with self pity, poor me! I don't have to put up with this. This is so wrong. This is so unjust. And then you look at the cross and you see the ultimate, the ultimate man who did everything right. If anyone had a right to say, I don't deserve this, it's him. And yet he hangs on this cross, not deserving a moment of it. And he does it for you. And all of a sudden you say, oh my goodness. God, your sacrifice. You didn't pout. You didn't have self-pity. You didn't even complain about anything. Not the nails, not the crown. The only thing he even complained about was the fact that he got separated from God. Because what he needed most during his moment of pity was God. And he did that so that you and I could have God and never be separated from him in Christ. One more. Loneliness. When you feel alone and you're the only one left, know that God came and died for you and knows you by name, brags and sings song over you in the heavens. And the ultimate display of that is at the cross where he came and he dwells with us as Emmanuel. God with us, you're not alone. God will not leave you or forsake you. This is how you apply God's sacrifice to your emotions. So I don't know which emotion you have, which one that you're drawn toward in the season of your life, but I want you to pick one. And this week, I want you to apply God's sacrifice. You catch yourself heading down that path, I want you to look at the cross and apply God's sacrifice to it. And when you do that, I hope you will learn to love and know the one who rescued you. Unlike that cat that gets rescued and runs off, I hope you find yourself coming back. And pulling your claws in a little bit because you're loved. And not scratching quite as much as you sort of investigate this one who went through all kinds of pain and agony because he wants to give you a peace that transcends understanding. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the real story of Elijah. Thank you for just the reality of a real man struggling with real emotions and how you powerfully displayed yourself to the people and how you powerfully unveiled yourself to him. Do the same to us. May we be overwhelmed and overcome by the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. See you all next week.